Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, friends. This is your host, Dr. Deb Carlin, here at the K Factor, where K equals kindness, and the factors are all the things that lead to it. Isn't that a great thought? What are all those factors that lead to genuine kindness? You know, it begins with having an open heart and an open mind. And also a determination, an absolute belief that goodness is everywhere. We're right in the middle of it. The world is a good place. Our life is a good experience. And one of our jobs here on earth is to make the most of our life. To be as healthy as we possibly can mentally, spiritually, and physically. And I I had an epiphany in the last year that made an enormous difference for me, and it's related to our guest today, who she is and what she does. So listen to this. I realized when I was in the middle of trying on clothes and feeling chunky and being frustrated, oh, my gosh, I take better care of a rental property than I do of this temple that I get to lease during my lifetime. What am I doing? How thoughtless and reckless of me to not take exquisite care of the place that I live in literally. And I returned to my roots from my childhood and decades ago in my life when I was the queen of wellness and fitness and happiness and well-being and I have to tell you it's re-revolutionized my life and reignited my passion for genuine wellness and well-being and it makes a difference and it the kindest way to live your life is to start out by loving yourself and giving thanks giving thanks and being in a state of gratitude for who we are and our guest today is the perfect guest for this topic. This is my good friend Carol Phillips and she is <clears throat> a corporate health coach. She's a national health and wellness expert and she's got this great book which is fun, informative, hilarious. She makes it so simple to get to wellness. It's 52 simple ways to health. And we had a great time when we were together. We're in a mastermind group together. And we were together last month in Philadelphia. And I made a commitment to Carol that we'll talk about in a little bit here. But let me bring her onto the onto the platform here. Good morning, Carol Phillips. How are you today? Good morning, Deb. I'm great. How are you? <laughs> you are great. I'm fine. Thank you. <laughs> Hello, listeners. Yeah, and one of our one of the reasons I am great is because when we were in Philadelphia last month at our great Quantum Leap Mastermind meeting with the wonderful Steve Harrison group, which can be found at right. steveharrison.com, because all of you who are listening need a lift. Without a doubt, everybody needs a lift, and that's a great lift. Carol, you and I were at that meeting, and, and you were talking about your book and we were doing some video work there together, and I was asking you about your book and telling you I wanted you to come on the show and talk about it, The 52 Simple Ways to Health. And you said to me, Deb, what are you willing to commit to? 
And let's do that conversation again. How do you do that with people? Because you were so animated and perfect with it that day. So let's give our audience the experience of how it went and how they can get onto the pathway of 52 Simple Ways to Help. Oh, that's perfect. Absolutely. So I'll challenge your listeners to participate also, and that is my new 52 challenge. So it's breaking down health, making it easier, getting rid of those old you know, myths that health has to be difficult and boring and expensive. We were born to take care of ourselves. It needs to be one little step here and there throughout the day. And I challenge people if they're struggling to make one small change each week that's very doable, implement right. that. So you it walk, could be right, very so you simple. Walk, you walked up to me and you said, Deb, what are you willing to do? And I said, Carol, give me a couple of suggestions. And one of the suggestions that you gave me was you said, will you be willing to commit to spending an additional hour dedicated to your sleep time? And I thought, oh, my gosh, you're kidding? That is so simple. Yes, I said. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> and as we were sitting there doing our commitment and laughing, people started walking up to us. And they wanted to know, what are you laughing about? What's so much fun? And you started talking about your 52 challenge. And people walked up and started uh, making commitments. So some of our friends in our group said they would drink half the amount of coffee, they would stop drinking soda, they would start to take a walk every day. I mean, it was just magical the way that you ignited people there and gave them such an easy way to just do one thing a week. Right. Thank you. And you know what? It can be easy, but that doesn't mean that you're not going to see important results. We need to get that ball rolling. And if people stop hyper-focusing on, you know, making huge diet changes to their diet overnight or huge changes to their exercise overnight and thinking that those two items are the only things that contribute to health, we need to take a step back and see that every area of our life contributes to our health, you know, the sleep, the stress management, the life balance. And if people start making small changes in each area, then they get the ball rolling. And over time, their life can change immensely. The other huge part of it is changing our thinking. Once we stop those negative thoughts, and change them into positive feedback and give ourselves a pat on the back with each little change, that will motivate us to continue those behaviors. And the results can be amazing. Magnificent, really. Right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, it is It is amazing. You know, when, when people say something like, you know, I can't believe it, I dropped 30 pounds last year. All I did was I stopped drinking soda. Right, and it can be that simple. For example, people who drink milk every day, I tell them, you know, if you if you drink, for example, 2% milk, if you just change to 1% milk and you don't change anything else, you could lose 5 pounds a year right there. And people will say to me, oh, Carol, I don't want to wait a whole year to see changes. Well, some of these people, every single year they're gaining weight and they're becoming less fit. So I say to them, you know what, if you reverse that cycle, in the course of a year, you may not, 
you know, see huge results. But the problem with the huge changes are that the brain says, this is temporary. When's it going to be over? Whereas if you implement small changes and you make them doable and you give yourself positive feedback, your brain says, I can do this. This is, this, you know, I can make this a permanent thing, which is exactly what we want. Yeah, right. So talk about, talk about your book, The 52 Simple Ways to Health, Add One a Week. So talk about that. How much does it cost and where can people buy it? Well, it's on uh, Amazon as a paperback and an ebook. It's also on BarnesandNoble.com, or they can go through my website, which is Coach Carol Phillips, C-A-R-O-L-P-H-I-L-L-I-P-S.com. They can get it through my website, and it's basically teaching people that every area of your life contributes to your health. It has 52 very simple to read chapters. Each chapter is only two pages. And each chapter gives you some education and motivation and a call to action. And it teaches you that all different things contribute to your health, including, um, you know, the, your negative self-talk, turning that into positive self-talk in your head, um, making, you know, small um, goals that are going to be more doable than the large goals, being kind to others, and of course we'll talk more about kindness. That really contributes to your own health as well as others. Um, the different aspects of exercise and why they're important, how you can actually eat more and lose weight if you're starting to add in more healthy foods crowding out the unhealthy foods and using the extra energy to exercise more, which, of course, we don't want to be hungry to lose weight. That's that's not healthy. We're designed to eat. We're just not designed to eat unhealthy foods all day long that are going to um, kill our energy level and leave us not wanting to exercise. Um, finding past hurts in your head that you need to release so that you can move forward in a positive way. So there is... Um, there are so many topics in the book, and each one can help people take another step forward toward health. And then adding fun back in, that's the huge thing, too, is I tell people, if you're thinking of exercise as something negative, then you're not choosing things that you find enjoyable. Nobody should be exercising doing anything that they don't enjoy. Everything they do for exercise needs to be fun. Yeah, it really does. If it's torture you're either going to get into a really negative frame of mind and you're going to do yourself more damage or you're just not going to keep doing it. Right, absolutely. And that's what I'm finding with my corporate work. I'll go into companies where their wellness programs, you know, they're they're begging people to come and participate. And part of it's because some of the activities aren't fun or some of the speakers that are coming in, you know, they're they're telling them you need to eat your vegetables and exercise more. Well, people already know those things. What we need to do is educate them with new information, motivate them so they can change their thinking and make it fun so that they're eager to do it. So tell us what some of the things are that you do to make it fun and and some of the information that you share with people that's different than what people have usually been beat over the head with all their life about eat your vegetables and and get out there and exercise. <laughs> what's what's different with your message? Share with us. 
Right. Well, the first thing I do is I ask people to take a step back and start analyzing themselves because we're creatures of habit. So we tend to stay in the same loop of, okay, I'm going to keep beating on myself today mentally that I'm not eating healthier. I'm going to keep beating on myself mentally that I'm not exercising. And I'm going to paint this picture that's going to start tomorrow morning at 5 a.m. of living this perfect life. And I just need to, you know, drum up the willpower to do it. And it's not realistic, it's not sustainable, it's not going to work. So I tell people, you know what, think about what works for you, what doesn't work for you. Respect what doesn't work for you. Don't keep, you know, banging your head on the wall. Identify the people in your life who are your support system versus the people who try to sabotage your efforts to move forward with health. Because obviously you want to avoid them and work more toward the people who support you. Also, we're social creatures. And a lot of people, you know, they need to be exercising with other people. So So, what you want to do is get to know yourself more. You know, come up with a game plan that's going to work for you. Don't worry if it's baby steps. It's getting that ball rolling that's the most important. And then looking at all the different areas of wellness and looking at it as um, a fun challenge. You know, what am I going to do this week that I'm going to enjoy doing, but it's going to be one tiny step closer to health? And once you start the combination of all those small things, you'll notice that mentally you feel better, you're happier, you have more energy, and, you know, that'll just pick up speed over time. So if you de- define your own wellness plan, not be listening to everybody telling you what you should be doing and how you should be doing it, then people tend to move forward um, in a really productive manner. And um, they notice changes along the way that they hadn't even thought of. And I tell them, keep celebrating those because that's what the brain wants. The brain wants to enjoy life and be happy and get positive feedback. Mm-hmm. So if we have if we have in our audience people who have a a pencil and a piece of paper or they've got a really great memory <laughs> or they've got mm-hmm. a tablet or a phone or something that they can do some note taking on what are the elements of a good wellness plan that you would advise people to put together what is it what are the elements that it has to have for them Okay, first of all, like I said, you're going to analyze yourself and really get to know yourself better um, so that you're increasing your chance of success. Um, The other thing you're going to do is you're going to decide what you're really fed up with. You know, the areas where you're like, you know what, I'm not going to continue down this road because it's just frustrating me, it's causing me a lot of stress. So I'm going to take 100% responsibility for my health And I'm going to start catching myself when I'm making excuses. You know, oh, I deserve to go out, you know, and eat a huge meal that's really unhealthy. Instead, say, you know what? That's not a reward for me. That's a punishment. So start identifying those excuses so you can can put a stop to them. And the other thing that's huge is don't expect perfection. You know, people, they come, you know, I I tell people, um, Identify all those forks in the road that happen all day long. For example, you go to get something to eat and there's a bowl of fruit in front of you and there's a bag of cookies. Okay, so most people, 
they'll look at the two and they say to themselves, okay, I really should have some fruit, but I really want the cookies. And then they just start justifying eating the cookies. So don't think of it as I have to be perfect or I have to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Instead, say to yourself, you know what? Okay, I'm going to have an apple. And when I'm done the apple, I can have one cookie instead of four. Okay, so then you're being more realistic. You're moving forward, but you're not um, denying yourself totally, which is, Mm. you know, that'll just end up with you having so many cravings that you're going to fall off the wagon. So really that happy medium. So making healthy choices roughly 80% of the time is going to keep you moving in a positive, healthier direction. So it can be as simple as that, but defining it for yourself every step of the way. And if you make a step backwards, you know, just realize all you have to do is make one small step in a healthy direction and you're back on track. It can be as simple as that. Mm. Hmm. And so when you talk about doing a self-analysis and really analyzing yourself, can you give some specifics about how people can do that? Because I can hear people saying to themselves, oh, no, i got to go see a shrink like Dr. Carlin <laughs> <laughs> and to go through an analysis. I don't want to do that. So how can people do it on their own? Do what you get naked do is, I'm sorry, go on. Do they have to get naked and stand in front of the mirror? (laughs) No, actually, I am not talking about, you know, a visual, um, physical assessment. I'm talking about what goes on between your ears. So start walking through your life and notice each of your decisions and say to yourself, why do I make these decisions and how can I change it? What are my roadblocks? Um, you know, for example, if if somebody works um, somewhere where they tend to order pizza a lot and a lot of unhealthy food, you know, they could say, well, you know what, I'm going to start packing my lunch so I have an o- a healthier option right there. And that doesn't mean you can never have the pizza, but you can say to yourself, you know what, this is one of my roadblocks. I tend to be at work, lunchtime comes, I'm hungry, I don't have any um, alternative foods there for me to eat, and there's Mm -hmm. just the pizza and I'm hungry. So instead, you know, bring some healthier choices. That doesn't mean you have to go cold turkey on the pizza. You Instead of going for three pieces of pizza and nothing else, you can go have one piece or half half a slice of pizza and then also eat what you brought that's healthier. So just those little, you know, you're identifying the roadblocks in your life. So really start noticing as you walk through life. Or, for example, you get home from work and you have the best intentions of going for a walk and then you get home and you talk yourself out of it every night. So if you start identifying, saying, you know what, I do that every night, and that's not really a good decision. So as soon as I catch myself starting to make the first excuse, I'm going to counter it in my head and say, no, at least go out there for 10 minutes and break that cycle and give yourself some positive feedback. Just get started and give yourself great feedback afterwards, and that can make a huge difference. I hear people frequently say that when they get home from work, they're so exhausted and so spent, 
and maybe they're not particularly crazy about what they do for a living and boy they see that living room and they see that recliner or that couch they just want to take off their shoes maybe take off their clothes and just lay down so what advice would you have for them when they walk in and they're thinking oh there it is (laughs) well planning ahead really helps a lot so if you can you know catch yourself ahead of time and say you know what i'm going to put my sneakers near the door and Mm -hmm. so i'm not even going to go in the living room and look at the couch and sometimes really it can be as specific as that Catching those triggers, you know, really analyzing yourself, saying, yep, that's the problem is I walk in, I start the excuses in my head, I start buying into them, and then I go and I look at the couch. You could you could do something like um, have an agreement with a neighbor where you get home around the same time and then you've got that um, it's healthy peer pressure, okay? Mm. So then you've got the, the sneakers by the door, or it may some be something as simple as, well, it's kind of getting cool outside when I get home, and it. I just noticed that part of what I like is that I get inside and the house is warm. So you got one of your heavier sweaters waiting for you with your sneakers. Okay? Mm, oh, so sometimes I like that. It's, it, it's a lot of really simple things that trip us up, and they can be easy fixes to mm-hmm. those you know simple roadblocks. You know, I like that because that's a really loving and considerate thing to do. That's the kind of thing that you would do for someone that you love. And people often forget that loving yourself and participating in kind acts with your own self is just a lovely thing to do. It absolutely is. And sometimes we're so kind to other people and we are not kind to ourselves. If we really stop and pay attention And you know what I say to people, stop and think about how you treat yourself all the time and picture you treating somebody else like that. And often people will say, oh, I would never treat anybody else like that. Well, if (laughs) if you wouldn't treat anybody else like that, you really shouldn't be treating yourself that way. Yeah, cut it out. I think we we need to teach people the stop it phrase for the now just stop it. Come on, now be right. really nice. Be, You know, it's you like know, what our mothers would tell us when we were little kids, right? Go out and play nice. Exactly. And, you know, I mm. had to learn that lesson myself because years ago, when I first learned about positive self-talk, I had um, just gone through a very difficult time in my life, and I decided I was going to start paying attention to the messages I was giving myself in my head. And I was horrified to notice how negative they were even though Mm. i was exercising all the time and i was eating you know healthy uh the messages in my head could be very demeaning so what i did was i came up with a plan that every time i caught myself i was going to say to myself stop and i was going to force myself to change whatever i was thinking into something positive and i'll tell you there were times when i had to keep saying stop several times in a row and really kick myself in the butt to change that thinking. And it and it took a while, and it took a lot of effort, but it was so worth it because I really identified a lot of negative patterns that were going on with my thinking. Yeah, it's horrifying, isn't it? Yeah, and when we change the thoughts, we change the behaviors. 
So that's why a lot of the chapters at the beginning of my book deal with the psychology, because if you can change your thinking around, then a lot of the other you know, health-related activities just fall into place. We're automatically making healthier food decisions. We're automatically participating in exercise more often and being more active and having more energy. So everything's connected to everything else. And then, and then when we're being more positive in our own head, we're going to sleep better at night because our brain isn't so conflicted. And then when we sleep better at night, our body does a lot more healing then we have more energy to exercise the next day. So mm. everything positive leads to more positive things, and each negative thing leads to more negative things. Mm-hmm. That is so true. We we really become what it is that we invest in in our head. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. I agree with that. So, Carol, what is your story, everybody's got a story, really, about why it is that they are in the line of work that they're in. Something something happened, something inspired, something motivated. So how did you end up there? Well, it's interesting. For the longest time, I didn't really think I had a story. I thought, well, I just like to exercise and I like to take care of myself. But the more I thought about it, I realized you know, it actually started before I was even born. When my mother was six months pregnant with me, I had um, a sibling who passed away unexpectedly, tragically. <laughs> and when I was growing up, even though my immediate family was healthy, we had a lot of relatives who were dealing with a whole host of health problems between diabetes and and heart disease and cancer. And I grew up really seeing that taking care of yourself was hugely important and that I didn't want to find myself in the position that they were in. And, you know, I, I could see that they struggled so much with making healthy decisions And over the years, I just wanted to help people um, make it easy for them, too, because everybody is designed to take care of themselves. Everybody can do it um, if they believe that they can do it. So, you know, that that was my mission, and I started out more in fitness and then expanded to all of health and wellness. I've been in the field now for over 25 years, and the book came out of me just wanting to reach more and more people. especially people who are the least fit employees where they're costing the companies the most money and they don't want to participate in the company's wellness program because they don't want to be the most overweight in the room or the least fit person walking into the room or the person who's not smiling because they have so much stress in their lives. So the book really helps to reach those least fit employees so they can make those changes in the privacy of their own home and not feel like they have to do it as a group event at work. Mm, That's got to be really helpful because it gets embarrassing. I mean, it's kind of like people who haven't, they don't even own a bathing suit. They haven't put on a bathing suit or a pair of shorts for years because they're too humiliated. Right, and we all have we all have insecurities. And when the insecurities keep us from making healthy decisions, that's probably the most tragic of all. 
So, Kara, what is it that you love to do more than anything else? Is it coaching people one-on-one, working with small groups, or doing speaking engagements? Well, um, I do a little bit of everything, but one of my favorites is um, the public speaking or the corporate fitness where I can reach um, a lot of people at one time and hopefully make, make a bigger impact. So if I can just, you know, educate and motivate them and spark something in them to make healthier decisions so that they have a, a happier life, not just a healthier life, but a happier life, to me that's, that's the most rewarding. Um, and, of course, you know, the benefit to the employer is they're reducing costs and increasing productivity because wellness is, is huge in the workplace. You know, your employees don't all come to work 100% every single day. You know, they're, you know, whatever their risk factors are, whether it's smoking or stress or high blood pressure, they're not at 100% every day. So if we can, you know, help increase those numbers, then it reduces the cost for the employer. Mhm. Right. Presenteeism <clears throat> really increases when people are well. They're just so much more attentive and alert and energized and and it's 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 phenomenal isn't it right and the culture of the environment at work is huge too um you know it it's common sense that the companies that are voted the best places to work for by the employees see a higher return of investment on their wellness because the employees are happier, of course, they're going to be more motivated to do more for that employer. So, you know, um, reducing the the health risk factors, but also increasing job satisfaction is all part of it also. Right. So what are some things other than the the dietary thing that you said about lunchtime, what are some of the things that you can direct people to do at work, like in terms of their attitude, because people, you know, in our country, the data indicates that people have more heart attacks on Monday than any other day of the week because they're just negatively geared to have to go back to work. So we know that there's a lot of head games that people are playing, right? So what what kind of advice in terms of wellness do you have for people in terms of their attitudes that they can engage in while they're at work that are going to be healthy for them? Yes, stress management is absolutely huge. The you know um on average each employee costs the employer $2500 a year. That's per employee for stress related costs. So anything we can do to reduce the stress so teaching people that, you know, stress will erode away their health, and it, and it is something that they need to control. So things that are out of their control regarding stress, they need to work on how they can deal with that mentally so they feel like they have more control over the situation. And then the stressors in their lives that they they do have control over, but they tend to obsess about, they need to find ways to reduce those areas, um, which is usually, I'd say, you know, some people say, well, that's easier, but not always, depending on the person's mindset. But, you know, one of the big things is our society just, 
you know, it's not going to slow down for us. So I tell employees, well, one way to reduce your stress is you need to take control of your life. You know, put yourself on your calendar first instead of everybody else. Don't keep overscheduling yourself. Um, you know, identify the things that cause you stress and sit down and take time, you know, to figure out how you can reduce that. For example, people who work full time and they have children in several activities, well, maybe you can limit those activities so you're not spread so thin because downtime and relaxation time is hugely important to health too. And that reduces people's stress. Um, High blood pressure is a huge problem in this country. And as far as anxiety, right now one of the biggest population of people on anti-anxiety medication are middle school students. So why is it that when children are only, you know, 12, 13 years old, we haven't taught them how to manage their stress without the use of drugs. So, for example, encouraging exercise and fresh air and talking things through and dealing with conflict resolution instead of getting to the point where they're so stressed out that they're being prescribed drugs. So if we teach them some coping skills, then they're going to become adults who have those coping skills and there won't be as much stress. So what what kind of coping skills... Um, we've moved over a little bit from from stress management at work. So you're you're talking about trying to teach people some some retraining of the brain to get their thoughts into a healthier place, so that they're managing the stress that they feel at the workplace. Can you give us some examples of that? Because I think that could be really helpful for people. Absolutely, and um, I can't say enough about exercise because exercise, one of the many, many, many benefits of exercise is reducing stress. Our body was designed to move every day, and when we get our heart rate up and sustain it, and that doesn't mean running a marathon. It can be, you know, a 15-minute brisk walk. Your brain's going to release those, quote-unquote, feel-good hormones that uh-huh. are going to absolutely you know, absolutely reduce your stress, reduce your blood pressure, make you feel like you can cope with life better. So, you know, instead of, um, you know, sitting at work and working through your breaks, absolutely take your breaks and go for a walk because that will, you know, physically reduce your stress, which is going to mentally make you feel better. Right. Yeah, it's so important, isn't it? Right, absolutely. Or, you know, working on relationships, realizing that the kinder you are to other people and yourself, the less stressed your relationships are going to be. Being a kind person, being a forgiving person, realizing that everybody isn't the same as us, so we can't be expecting people to react to things the same way we do. Um, Realizing, you know, that we all have bad days, So instead of getting stressed out when somebody else is having a bad day, something as simple as walking up and saying, hey, are you okay today? Is there something I can help you with? Instead Mm. of being all stressed out by their angry behavior. What do you you find is the most prevalent challenge for people in terms of wellness in the corporate work that you do? 
absolutely stress management and people feeling like they don't have time to exercise. And when we can overcome those two, it can it can make a huge difference. And, you know, something as simple as, you know, I tell people, sit down and make a list of things that stress you out about your job. And then, you know, try to come up with some, you know, solutions if you can. And then, you know, if if it's possible in your workplace, go have an honest conversation with your employer saying, you know what, I want to be a less stressed, more productive, happier employee. And these are some of the things I've identified as, you know, um, challenges or, you know, stress-related things that maybe we can work together to to change for the better. Uh, two heads are better than one, and a good boss will appreciate the fact that you want to work harder and be happier and healthier in the workplace. So do you and do people do people take you up on that and and do companies hire you to come in and and help them with that cuz it is huge. Right, usually uh stress management is one of the most requested topics. And so what I try to do is besides educating and motivating, I go in and have fun with the employees. We play games, we do interactive activities. So, you know, they're they're not feeling like, oh geez, I have to leave my desk for an hour and and be behind an hour on work and go sit in a presentation that's, you know, not um exciting, fun or right. I'm not gonna leave it feeling like I personally benefited. So, you, know you know what I think is really employee. funny. I have I have recollections of going to stress management um, workshops and seminars when I was in graduate school, and they would stress me out. <laughs> <laughs> a little counterproductive, right? Yes, I was sitting there thinking, wait a second, I'm sitting in this stupid event with a three-inch binder that I'm going to be asked to go through. I've got so much work to do. I cannot believe that I'm sitting here. I'm having to do this. I love that you go in there and you play with people. People love to play. They need to play, don't they? Right, absolutely. We don't have enough fun in this country, and we don't weave it into our our workplace as much as we need to. And, you know, that's the other message that I give to upper management is that you need to be building relationships with your non-management employees, and you need to let them know that they don't have to walk on eggshells around here. And guess what? You're going to take that all the way to the bank because you're going to have happier, healthier, and more productive employees, and that's going to benefit you. Right. So it's a it's a huge win-win. Yeah, yeah. That that's beautiful. And do people and do people take you up on this? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, something as simple as I'll say to them, you know, when your employees are taking a break, not on, you know, and it's not their quote unquote official break time and, you know, they're around the water cooler and they're having, you know, a nice conversation, catching up on things. I said, you know what, give them a little space because they're building relationships, which at some point um, the subject of their work is going to come up and they're going to share good ideas with each other. And when employees have better relationships and they're sharing ideas, they're better able to do their jobs. So, you know, unless they're out there forever getting way off topic, you know, give them their space and let them have that break away from their desk. You know, their their brain's getting a break. 
They're building those relationships. They're coming up with ideas for each other. They're supporting each other. It could be as simple as, you know, one employee's stressed out, the other one's noticing that, and the kind employee is giving them a chance to vent, and guess what? They feel better. They go back. They finish out the workday, whereas if the stress wasn't controlled, maybe that employee would have gone home after lunch. Mm. So, you know, you need to be creating those win-win situations that are outside the box. Mm-hmm. I love that. Are you – so when you go out and, and you give a talk, let's let's get our, our audience revved up here so that they can think about the ways in which they can – bring you in to be a speaker. Let's tell them how it is that they're going to get a hold of you. Let's tell them one more time about how it is that they can find you. Let's give them your website. Sure. It's coachcarolphillips.com. That's the easy domain name to remember. Or they can email me, my company's health design. They can email me at carol, C-A-R-O-L, at healthdesignnh dot com okay and um do you have a a list there carol of the things that you like to talk about well i usually with companies i'll do a needs assessment to see you know what exactly their employees need but it could be um any topic from you know health management to basic nutrition ideas for the workplace the importance of exercise, life balance, um, back safety, ergonomics, um, any topics open, any health topic. Um, but, you know, the, health, the, the wellness connection um, is another workshop that I do with employees that really teaches them that everything mm. contributes to their health and how important those small steps are. So it's, it's, it's very motivational. That's fabulous. And then do you, in addition to doing talks, do people often hire you to do some consulting with them to really get everybody on board and healthy and make sure that there's some stick-to-itness? Right. That's that's one of the um, most crucial parts is working with that company to make sure that they're getting a good return on investment. So getting to know those employees, what they, they need, um, so that they feel like they're being heard. Um, the topics are enjoyable so that they want to return. Oftentimes in companies now, they roll out these wellness initiatives and, and people aren't showing up for them um, because they're not finding them enjoyable and beneficial. Um, mm. so, you know, And they don't know the importance of getting away from that desk for a while. So... You know, one of the examples I give is um, for companies is, you know, they most companies will do typical weight loss challenges. And, for example, they think that they need to go out and get incentives and prizes. And, you know, say, for example, they go and they get three gift cards, you know, for the wellness challenge. And so it's targeted to people who need to lose weight. So what I tell companies is, you know what, flip it around so it's not um, – you know, negative sounding, flip it to something positive that's um, healthy weight range. And then instead of worrying about huge, you know, uh, gift card incentive money, instead buy every employee a really nice water bottle. Mm. 
because dehydration is a common problem in this country with a lot of symptoms where people tend to, they suffer the symptoms, they go to the doctor, they get another prescription, whereas all they need to do is drink more water. So that's I'll fabulous. Say to the company, so another thing that people can do that's going to be really amazing for them is just get a water container and start drinking more water or start drinking water. Right, and the, the the trick is do not buy your employees a cheap water bottle that they're going to go home and just, you know, throw in a box somewhere. Get them a nice water bottle that they're going to use so they're not dehydrated anymore, and then put your company name on it, and you're, now your employees are walking free advertisements for you. And oh. the employees finish the challenge all excited because everybody got a prize. Wow. So teaching people that they need to participate in wellness because it's going to be fun and it's going to be welcoming. But if we happen to be giving away something, everybody's going to get one. So nobody's going to leave disappointed that they didn't win the gift card that was, you know, the, from the drawing. Because we That's, are learning now that incentives can be counterproductive. Right, right. You have to really pay attention to what, drives people and if people think you're just trying to pull one over on them they get so turned off and insulted right right and and employees are getting tired of jumping for the dangling carrot which is some of the incentives mm. Mm. this is this is absolutely fascinating and and so i like that just get up and move around bring a healthier lunch Stop, just snap your fingers and stop that thought and turn it in another direction. So if you find yourself heading down that negativity pathway, stop, get back on the positive, and drink water. What about the role of sleep? We don't want people sleeping at their desk, but we certainly want them coming into work rested. Right, and people are having more and more problems with sleep, and there are multiple factors that are involved First of all, you know, technology, we're plugged in all the time. Um, Our brains do not have a chance to rest in in our society. Years and years ago, you know, we either, you know, we worked all day, came home, had lunch with the, uh, had dinner with the family, which is, you know, very good for the brain. And then the evening, we relaxed. We either watched TV, we went out and played, uh, we did things that were fun, that we enjoyed, so the brain had a chance to unwind. Well, now we're working too much. We're plugged in all day. And then we go to bed and people are having trouble sleeping or we're not getting quality sleep because the brain's trying to process too much information. Mm. You know, that was, you know, input, input, input all day long. And the the big problem is if we don't get into a deep sleep each night, our body can't do the healing that it needs to do. We do a lot of healing when we're in a deep sleep. Um, so we want to be getting enough hours of sleep, but we want to be getting into a deep sleep. And some of the problems, the direct problems with a good night's sleep is, um, you know, a, a room that's too too warm, um, eating a big meal before going to bed, having technology in our room that has either lights or noises all night long that keep us from staying in a deep sleep, pets in the room on and off the bed. So we really need to focus on all the different 
areas of our personal lives that contribute to sleep loss. Yeah, we really get cavalier about the bedroom, don't we? Put a TV in there, put a bunch of electronics in there, put a clock in there that's digital with those big red numbers on it. Right. Horrifying what we do. We turn it into like a nightmare zone as opposed to a fluffy, puffy dreamland. Go in there and like just walk in the room and you're going to feel snoozy. Right. And then going to bed too late, getting up too early. Absolutely. Right. Or people who go go to bed and they eat in bed. <laughs> oh, right. Yeah, that's not that's not good either. Or, you know, we have so many people who have, you know, sleep issues. Even if somebody snores, they need to be talking to their doctor about that because people mm-hmm. who have um sleep issues or they snore, they're physically depriving their bodies of oxygen, you know, all night long. Which is, so how does somebody know if they have sleep apnea? What if what if they don't think that there's anything wrong, but you're on a you're on a client site, and you realize that somebody's really sort of crabby and grouchy, and they don't seem to be a morning person? Because that's a lot of people's excuse. Well, I'm just not a morning person. And exactly. I think I think they have a sleep issue. Right, and they should talk to their doctor about it and. What I tell people is if, if your gut is that you need to go for a sleep study or your doctor has mentioned you going for a sleep study, absolutely go and do it because we become conditioned to think that how we sleep is normal. And yeah. there have been people who, you know, they get their issues identified and if they end up, um, you know, with one of the um, – you know, sleeping devices where it's going to help them with the mass to get more oxygen at night, their lives change dramatically. And I've had so many people say to me, I had no idea that how I felt was the furthest from normal until Mm -hmm. I was getting a good night's sleep and getting enough oxygen each night. My life has changed dramatically, which, of course, You know, it leads into more energy to exercise, more energy to make healthier food choices, less stress during the day and night. So it it really can make a huge difference, besides the fact that your spouse is going to be a lot happier sleeping with you and you're not making noise all night long. (laughs) There are also some really great breathing classes that people can Google and, and do some natural techniques so that they don't have to hook themselves up to the CPAP machine, which a lot of people feel terrorized by, and then nobody nobody sleeps so well. Maybe the patient is sleeping well, but the person who has to hear the CPAP machine is, is sort of annoyed. So people can Google and find sleep apnea, natural breathing exercises, and give that a try, too, and take that to their physician or their healthcare practitioner and see if they can get some relief from that. But Definitely get the good sleep, right? Right, and and you're right. There are ways that people can, can avoid that. For example, if they lose weight, then sometimes their, their sleeping issues go away, their snoring issues go away, quitting smoking, exercising more. So prevention is absolutely huge. So you can – there are many problems that can easily be reversed. So – do you have do you have more than this one book? When did this book come out? The book came out in October. Okay, great. And it's 
paperback and ebook and um getting ready to start writing my second book which will be on corporate corporate wellness programs. Fabulous. And are you going to you're going to give people the formula for put together putting together a corporate wellness program? Right, it's going to um partly focus on what works and what does not work um with corporate wellness programs. Oftentimes in many companies, the HR manager is tasked with running the wellness program, and they really don't have time to do it. They don't commonly have a health background. And, you know, what they think is going to be beneficial and what seems like it would be, you know, common sense for what the employees would enjoy doing, sometimes it ends up being totally counterproductive, unfortunately. So sometimes it's as simple as like I was saying, you know, get rid of the gift cards and some of the incentives and instead focus on just having a culture where it's more um, welcoming and beneficial for everybody. And that's a huge relief to companies to know that there are certain things that are going to cost them less money and be um, much more positive and beneficial in the long run. Mm-hmm. So, Carol, for your speaking engagements, you, you, are where, what part of the country are you located in? I am in New Hampshire. And is it easy for you to travel anywhere if somebody wants to hire you as a speaker? Absolutely. I can, you know, get on a plane. I uh, I enjoy um, being in all different um types of companies, size companies, because the the subject of health is universal and evergreen. So, you know, every employee needs to be taking care of themselves. And, you know, I've worked with, um, you know, uh, lawyers' offices. I've worked with manufacturing plants that have a lot of smokers. So basically it's, you know, if you get down to, um, you know, identifying, you know, what their risk factors are, um, and and speaking, you know, to what's most beneficial for that company, um, you know, like I said, it, the health, the, the topic of health applies to every company. Mm-hmm. What would you do in a in a smoking um, situation? Do you have a particular something that you like to uh, do for a smoking cessation program? I do actually. I have a, a different approach with um, helping people quit smoking. And that is commonly people are told to quit smoking and start exercising. And what I tell people is that's backward. People need to slowly start exercising. And I teach them to identify some of the same feelings that they crave from their cigarette. They get some of the same feelings from exercise. So instead of going cold turkey on the cigarettes, I teach them that once they learn that they'll get some of the same benefits as far as those feelings, like when somebody has a cigarette, they, you know, their heart starts to race and they're, they're craving that um, little high that they get from smoking. And then afterwards they say, well, I feel calmer after I smoke. So I teach them that, well, you know what? If you start going for a brisk walk, I want you to consciously notice that your heart rate's going up you're getting that little rush because the the feel-good hormones are being released, 
And then afterwards, you're absolutely going to feel calmer. So when you start replacing the unhealthy habit with the healthy habit and realize that you can get all those same feelings, then people can make progress with either cutting down or quitting. And that's another area where it's really important for people to start analyzing themselves and realizing that not every cigarette all day long has the same purpose in their life. Most most of the time, people have different reasons for different cigarettes. For example, well, I like the first one with my coffee, so I enjoy having the cigarette with my coffee. Another cigarette might be because they're dealing with somebody at work who stresses them out, so they go out on break and have a cigarette instead of going for a walk. Um, another cigarette might be just out of boredom. So we basically come up with an attack plan so that they can counter the different cigarettes for the different purposes because you need you need a different strategy for each different cigarette during the day. So what I do is I say, you know what, we're going to come up with an army for you so you can start attacking this problem. Because, you know, there's the mental addiction, there's the physical addiction, there's the tactile addiction, they're used to having some, something in their hand, there's the oral addiction, they're used to having something in their mouth. So when we start identifying all those different things and teach them about their habit, they're much more likely to be able to quit because they've um, educated themselves on the entire problem. Well, Carol, this has been really a healthy conversation, and we're out of time. (laughs) Wow. That was fun. I know. Time flies when you're having fun. So I'd like to thank you for being on our show. Friends, you can go to give the website again, Carol. CoachCarolPhillips.com. And her book is available at Amazon.com as well as on her website. Carol, thank you so much for being here today. I am most appreciative. And friends, this is your host, Dr. Deb Carlin, here at the K-Factor, where K equals kindness and the factors are all the things that lead to it. Have a wonderful, beautiful day and be well and start today for this week one thing that will pass to wellness, and you'll feel great about yourself now, immediately, and so much better in a week and every week thereafter. This is Dr. Thanks, Deb. Thanks, Deb.